So June, I think I need another ninety dollars from you. Another ninety dollars? Wait, jog my memory again. <laughs> I guess technically forty-five dollars. So we're having a little bit of an issue with our domain name here. As you know, we're overanalyzed.fm, but some people only hear the overanalyze part and they don't get the, the D. D. The D. Yeah, we we messed that one up, dude. <laughs> so I'm like, oh no, do we need to get a second domain name so it redirects? Actually, some that's already happened once where a buddy of mine was like, "That's not that's not uh that's not you, is it?" Because that that is a that's another one that um although they were looking up our podcast on iTunes and there is an overanalyze podcast. Oh no, really? Yeah, I think so. Uh well, that's unfortunate. I'd have to double check, but he was showing me, and I was like, "That is not our logo." But what does overanalyze without the D dot FM take you to? I don't know. I have actually, I'm I haven't not, actually looked. I don't need to look this up. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know if it's available. I was just thinking about that the other day, though. Oh no, it's not taken. Ooh, hover. Ah. Let's see. Ooh, 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 oh no, no, it, no. It is. It is taken. It's uh It's on hover. Someone on hover got it. Oh, is that what that means? Yeah. Oh, how much is it? <laughs> Buy it off of them. Negotiate. Hostile takeover. Oh, uh, that's not good. Well, I guess we can't do that. That's okay. We'll, we'll just have to enunciate the D every time. Yeah, we'll have to really drop that D. Overanalyzed. Da, 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 da. Okay. <laughs> so that's been a, that was a fun opening to the show. Um, so today, Drew and I have decided to talk about taxes. Everyone's favorite topic. Um, why did they take so much money out of our paycheck? Well, I guess we'll, we'll figure that out today. So, June, what's your what was your reaction when I was like, we should talk about taxes? Well, actually, I was kind of like, are you are you kidding me? I love taxes. I love talking about taxes. <laughs> I don't love the idea of taxes. Um, I understand to some degree taxes and why governments need it, but um, I I actually think it was a really interesting topic. It's just I'm I I think that's why I responded back to you. I was like, you really want to talk about taxes on our podcast? <laughs> Yeah, we're we're trying to gain viewers here, not put them to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I think taxes are quite interesting. You know, it enables the roads we drive on, all these different public services, you know, libraries, um, you know, everything. It, it it fuels so many things, and I just think it's really interesting how people don't like it because without it, you would have none of the infrastructure necessary to live your day to day life and create a living, right? Like, because no one would make this stuff. Um, privately. Well, arguably, they would, and then just charge you money to use it. I don't know. Like, would you ever make the money back on roads? Oh, sure. Probably. You think so? If you charge enough. (laughs) Well, that's the thing, though. If you charge enough, like, how many people could actually afford to use it? Like, I understand that, yes, people are not getting charged taxes, so suddenly they have more money. But I don't think it would be... I don't know if it'd be proportional. All right. Let's talk about roads... So since you brought up roads, a lot of roads are state funded and mm-hmm. states, I mean, I don't know about other states, but Maryland, aren't we, aren't we actually like, didn't we have a surplus last year, um, in the government revenue or to- revenue versus costs? <laughs> oh, don't get me started on that. Yes. Yes. We had a surplus. We also didn't have schools with heating and air conditioning, but continue. I know, yeah, that, that's uh, yeah, we yeah, well, like, I know. So, so that that said, though, I don't think states do states. Oh man, I feel so underprepared to talk about this right now. Um, <laughs> that's true. Do do states have like some 
I mean, I don't know if they're like the federal government where they're just constantly growing a debt, but I would think they're not because when they were talking about the surplus Maryland had, they were talking about saving it and yada, yada, yada. They never once mentioned paying off a debt, which made me assume that there was no debt, but I should probably fact check this. Um, I think, uh, yeah, why don't you fact, uh, fact check that, Mr. Uh, 27-inch iMac over there. By the way, guys, I'm recording all this from my iPad, so it's a very interesting little setup going on. I totally could uh, look it up, but, you know, he has a little bit more uh, of a canvas. Um, I, I think you're right. I think we don't go into gross amounts of debt in our individual state. We can't be like the federal government where they just kind of like, ah, who cares? <laughs> like, who's going to check us on our debt? Um, I guess China could. Imagine if China said, could you write that check back, please? <laughs> Pretty interesting day. Oh, you know what? Yeah, there's totally a debt. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, <laughs> well, hold on. This is not... Uh, hmm. This is riveting podcast material. I guess... All right. Let's let's <laughs> let's even... All right. It doesn't really matter. I guess what I, my point is, states must have a way, right? Technically, the government can just spend, 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 right? Rack up a debt, yada, yada, yada. I know that there's there's macroeconomists that can I'm certain I'm sh- you know I'm sure they can definitely explain this much better but in my view uh it's it's the idea that you know they're they're trying to balance the budget they're not always just expending so you know you think about the tolls you think about all the things you still have to pay to try, so that the government can still actually get some more income as well to fix roads not just from government money uh, or from taxes, I mean. Speeding tickets that are barely Speeding valid. Speeding tickets, sure. <laughs> and I feel like another way to think about the government is that it is just another giant company. Um, oh, yeah. With a lot of extra power, uh, granted. <laughs> the ability to make laws, right? That too. There's all that stuff. But as far as managing money goes, I guess I boil it down very simply to just essentially another company. It... it you know, and and if if the government can build roads and sustain themselves, these roads, I don't see how. I'm not. I guess I'm not. I'm not arguing that roads should be private, but I just think if governments didn't build roads, roads will still exist. That's an interesting question. I mean, I think you're right, but I think they might look very different than they do today. Like you would not have access to more rural areas. Oh, I thought you meant access as in equal access. I guess that's what I was thinking. That's the main problem, is if it was private, then many things we consider equal guaranteed rights, they become now, if you have more money, then maybe you get to drive on the nicer road, the nicer lane, right? Or things like that. Oh, you mean like the lane on 95 that no one uses? (laughs) Literally the Lexus lane? Express lane, yeah. That thing is so stupid. Right. Again, don't get me started. (laughs) But to some degree, it's sort of like that. I mean, it's, you know... Or, or even just to use the road, you have to pay, right? I mean, to that, to that degree, it does eliminate um, a little bit of equality to some degree and fair access. It'd be very, it'd be very interesting because the way our current roads are set up, you park on them. So, how do you say that you're now using the road? Yeah, yeah, it, it'd be very interesting how that would hmm. all work. There would have to be like yeah, you would, your neighborhood would have a, a private road and you'd have right. to visit yourself. And and then once you got onto like the main road outside of a neighborhood, then you would have to uh you'd have to pay, I guess. It'd be a very interesting infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? It's just automatically logged somehow. Hmm. 
But think about it too, June. Like when when they first made roads, there was no easy way to do this. It'd be such a traffic problem; it's unbelievable. So that's like almost another reason why no one could ever pay for roads is because back in the day, like it'd be a huge traffic problem. There wouldn't be no wireless payment uh, using Easy Pass. You'd have to like exchange dollar bills each time. Oh well, yeah, or you know, buy a permit or something, something that you know allows you to just drive if you on the road if you have this little sticker it's like basically a tax though right you're not paying for usage you're paying just to have the right to use it as much as you want well i mean i think where it all comes down again to like just all right if it's privately owned they're going to charge you something to use the roads so that they can pay it back basically right it's an interesting question um like if the government like who would have made the like electricity lines if the government didn't fund it you know Mm-hmm. Yeah, utilities, that's another big one. The government helped make sure that their utilities were sent out to, like again, the rural areas. Like Otherwise, there'd be no point of having internet connections out there, etc. Because um, it would be a loss leader. Right, there would be no, there'd be no cost incentive. Although, yeah. arguably, urbanization is actually supposed to be better, right? <laughs> um, in terms of efficiency. Oh, um, yeah. So, maybe that's actually... Maybe that'd actually be a good thing. <laughs> Don't live out there. You're, uh, not, you're not getting any basic. <laughs> you're not getting electricity <laughs> or plumbing if you live out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to figure it all out yourself. So Which a lot of people a, do, uh, I guess. Get, get a turbine. And you could totally go off off grid. I guess I want to get to my grand theory because I think this is what's going to spark the most debate. Mm-hmm. So my official opinion is if you don't like taxes, then you probably aren't voting for the right people uh, in office to like spend the taxes right, correctly. Because the economies of scale that we can achieve by a government doing things um, is super powerful and thus could easily provide us the best of a given service, be it roads or healthcare uh, or various other things, education. All those things could be best in class um, if we properly utilize the economy of scales that our country, our state provides. Can you elaborate more in the economy of scales that you're discussing? Yeah. So like, for instance, with insurance, like health insurance, it's like the one of the ones like that got me because a lot of people don't like the idea of a government run insurance. And I understand why the, that you lack faith in the government doing it well, because we have demonstrated very poor abilities to execute on plans. Um, But ideally it would be correct and it would be like the best way because you would have one huge pool. It wouldn't be a for-profit company doing it. It'd be a the government. So they're, you know, as we've talked about, they're loss leaders. So like <laughs> they would be able to run a very high quality version of this, um, a version that best helps enable their citizens to live healthy and prosperous lives, not to try to turn a profit. Like they're just trying to enable their citizens to be able to not worry about so much about their health, but just, you know, create, do, um, you know, increase GDP. Um, and again, if I, my, my theory is if you don't like it, if you don't think it's good, it's probably because the wrong people are running it and you have power to change that by voting. So it all comes down to if you vote for the right officials and the right people get in the government, then suddenly your taxes are extremely well spent. Everything's wonderful. You will want to pay more taxes because they handle your money so well. And I think like the amount of things that we could get, like we could have amazing public transportation. We could have amazing things. If we invested in the right stuff, there wasn't um, 
you know, misspending, and that all comes down to our elected officials. Like all the people that are there were put in either by people we elected directly or people that those people then appointed. Um, so it's entirely uh, in our hands to make sure that this is uh, something that we want. You know, um, well, yeah, that's my, yeah. uh, <laughs> so like I kind of. It kind of grinds my gears when people are like, oh, I hate taxes. Like, I can't believe they take so much of my paycheck. I want smaller taxes. And I'm like, no, I want more taxes. I want more taxes so that our government can do even more things because I think that they could do it better than um, me with that money because then I lose economies of scale. And, um, I, you know, that's that's like kind of my, my whole thing. Well, I guess most people who think about the government and – how it spends money i don't i i would argue that most people with you know they don't think of high efficiency they don't think of lean or agile you know i'm pretty sure they think of the complete opposite so i guess i was trying to reconcile that with the fact that you're arguing for taking advantage of economy of scale the government certainly isn't lean or agile 100%. But I don't think a lot of the companies that we fund are either. Um, Like, they have their own fluff, too. I mean, you see it in both of our workplaces. I'm sure you see loads of people that are are kind of fluff. Right, yeah. It's kind of a contradiction, right? It's almost like with economy of scale comes necessary bureaucracy. And necessary bureaucracy can be sometimes considered just more overhead, more waste, whatever, right? To manage the scale, to, yep. you know, actually do do it correctly. And I guess that's the part that, uh, now you would think that the overall product, the what you produce far exceeds the increase in the cost that it takes, the overhead costs, right? That's, I think that's where, economy of scale severely, you know, kicks in. Um, but I don't know if that's a case for the government. Another thing I would bring up, though, is think about this. When we were working for that one company, June, we bought another company, and suddenly a lot of people got laid off because there was overlap in a lot of these positions, right? So that's another example of economies of scale is that you're, you're suddenly collapsing all these different companies. So all these insurance companies have... Uh, for instance, like all these employees, but then you're kind of collapsing into one government agency that yes, might be bloated, but compared to the amount of people that would have to be in all these individual, uh, operations, it might be more efficient. Now, granted, then you're like, oh, but that's less jobs. That's bad. And yes, that is bad. But I think there are so many jobs that we could provide as a government, um, again, with taxpayer dollars that could fund, uh, better, you know, maintenance of infrastructure, which is a huge problem our country like i can imagine so many people working on that problem um yeah i don't yeah. know it's just a thought i have like i understand like i could i would love that if we had uh you know people would chime in and with their thoughts because i think this is such mm-hmm. an interesting conversation and i would love to be challenged on it um but i just the more i think about it the more i think like yeah taxes are pretty great well let me ask you this if if somebody ran if if a private company ran and was in charge of building roads, you don't, I guess it comes down to the confidence that you have, whether or not you have confidence in the government being as efficient as something privately ran. But it's also the question of efficiency versus like maybe all that efficiency of a private company is just going into someone's pocket, 
right, as profits. And my, one of my like major temples of like government running these things is that they don't have to worry about profits. They just need to break even. Yeah, I think that's a key disagreement with people who are more for less smaller governments, right? They're, they're thinking that profits in itself is not necessarily bad. If profit is driving innovation and driving you to be more efficient and to do things faster and quicker... Why, you know, why is that necessarily a bad thing? It's a very capitalistic way of looking at it, but I mean, we got where we are by being, by taking advantage of things like profit. <laughs> and yeah, that's very true. That's very true. And I think that's an extremely interesting point is like the competition aspect of things, how um, you could become, these, these agencies could become very complacent. I mean, um, I, yeah. I mean, look at it this way, right? If I had even just two companies that build roads, what's because of the competition and the need to like earn a profit, they're going to try and make a better product at a lower cost somehow, right? Or or sometimes they make a better product at a higher cost, but people will pay more for a better product. Whereas with the government, you're just stuck with one thing. You're kind of stuck with like one type of road and you know, you like it or not, that this is it. <laughs> that's a that's an extremely good point. Yeah, that's an extremely good point. I think um Again, that comes back down to the people that are running it, though, right? Like, if we had uh, a government-provided internet access, um, we could elect people who are like, yeah, man, everyone's going to get fiber to the door. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, and that could be a a thing people care about. I think, though, that the interesting part about that is suddenly then you have so much more that a individual... Um, citizen has to worry about as a part of their voting and like election procedures it's like oh i like this candy because he's gonna give me the high speed internet so i can like you know stream 4k youtube but the other guy he's gonna give me healthcare. crap which one do i choose <laughs> you know like it might be like overloading that decision in a way yeah i can see that uh, where i think the benefit of a, a major benefit of the government is essentially taking away management of you know, 25 to whatever percentage of your income, right, of that chunk of money. And and they're basically managing that money for you. You no longer mm-hmm. need to decide, hmm, do I put this money here? Do I put it there? You've elected people to go sort of make those decisions for you now, right? So yeah. I guess that is kind of a benefit. We don't, I don't actively think about, you know, um, how much of that money do I need to you know, contribute to roads or things like that. I just, I let, I let, or right. I let, I let the government take care of it. And it does ease, I guess, a burden of how to invest the money in the things, in the fundamental needs that I, I need. (laughs) So I I can see that. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, hmm, hmm, hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. A lot of these utilities and this common access kind of stuff, I just can't imagine it being ran by, by truly private companies. Yeah, I agree. I think I think the role of a government running something, of creating and maintaining and running something, I think one of the huge needs for why government is needed is really for fundamental uh fundamental needs of of a society, right? Whether that's education or arguably healthcare, right? Like to stay right. alive, <laughs> to stay healthy. Yeah. Um, like these are can be considered fundamental needs, and the idea is, like a government's 
primary role, arguably, is to provide those fundamental needs yep. for the people. To enable them to do great things, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, and yeah, and just to like, even just a quality of life uh, perspective, um, this is a little bit related, but I just remember going to, um, I remember going to China a few times, and I think the last time was actually better, but the past, the last two times before this last time, um, I just remember every time I went to a restroom, there is nothing, no toilet paper, no paper towels. You had to pay a guy who was standing there um, with basically uh, with like he had a stash of toilet paper and paper towels and soap and things like that. And you'd have to pay this guy for that stuff and to even just use the restroom at all. Right. And and I'm like thinking it's like that guy at the bars, like when you go out to like those like club bars, and he has like all the colognes <laughs> and all the uh, all different soap products, and he like squirts in your hand, and you're like, I don't want any of this because right. I know you want me to give you money. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I'm just thinking like maybe this is just some dude who like somehow has a permit to run this thing. Like he maybe he owns it. Like how does really he? You know, well, which I kind of find interesting how that would even be possible in China, but where the government owns everything, but. Regardless, I'm just kind of thinking, man, you know, in the U.S., you know, restrooms are most of the time, at least in a public space, is public. You just go in and you have a fundamental, you know, expectation that there will be toilet paper, there will be water, you know, paper towels and soap (laughs) and things like that. And you just, you shouldn't have to worry about like, oh, I didn't, I forgot change. Damn it. Now I don't have toilet paper, you know. (laughs) B-Y-O-T-P. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I guess, oh, wow. um, I don't know, I, yeah, I, it's, it is very interesting. And, and I think it's, it varies from people to people. At the end of the day, nobody's going to be the same. I mean, two weekends ago, I was, up, I was going up to New Hampshire and um, I've heard a few things about New Hampshire, one of which is like, oh, you know, that's a bunch of where libertarians um, decided to move to. And I was kind of wondering, like, ooh, will I meet, like, libertarians or something? Because I find them very interesting. Um, the idea of just the complete opposite of what you're saying is, you know, no government almost, right, is just sort of you fend for yourself kind of thing. Bring your own TP, seriously. Like, you know, <laughs> why yeah. depend on something else for it? And that is just a, such a different mindset, you know, that, I don't know, I guess. Um, I just think it's naive. I really do. Like, I think there's something really great about having certain things managed for you because I think just if you had to carry about all these different things, um, yeah, where will you have the mental capacity to go think about other things? Yeah. And I think, I mean, granted, I think you'd end up just like writing a bill. I think a lot of this stuff would become, could you imagine? It's like almost like a class system. It's like, Oh, I subscribe to like the basic needs package where I get, my electricity and my plumbing and like, <laughs> it's like getting channels from cable, but like, oh, sure, I'm going to get all sure. these things. I subscribe yeah. to all these things. And it's kind of set and forget it because again, these are things that would have to be huge, huge companies in order to be profitable. Um, and then arguably, then they might as well be the government because then you don't have to worry about profits, particularly right. if you're providing just like a basic commodity. Like we're not getting great innovation in the electricity space, you know, <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, I mean, it's not a hundred percent true, but nonetheless, um, it, it, it just, it just really, I don't know, kind of interesting to me. Um, just the, the people who just don't like it at all. Just, eh. I, I think it's just also an underappreciation of what's actually being purchased with those dollars, you know? 
because it's it's hard to see maybe um if you don't think about it it just looks like a huge lump of change that just disappears do you think do you think people in the u.s take a lot of these services for granted oh i think so i definitely think so like it, they, there's no connection of oh you know like i said you go into a public restroom and a lot of them are really nice you know especially like along highways or things like that or state parks but i yeah i guess i guess people don't necessarily yeah, make draw the linkage between oh this is really nice bathroom to hey that huge 30% 40% of taxes i just paid you know um <laughs> like like led to this you know what i mean like there's no linkage there for that well i guess like here's here's a service that just wouldn't exist otherwise right like you would literally have zero police if it was for the government because a there'd be no laws and like there'd right. be no like without taxes as well right because you would uh, not be able to <laughs> like like what would you do hire like private security guards for your your community like are you kidding me like <laughs> well i mean arguably sure but but i can see that i would actually more argue that 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 is government provided because it goes back to the fundamental needs and security is a fundamental need for society and i can see why that you know along with education and the other things we talked about like that should that should be government provided. Like we shouldn't somehow not guarantee the safety of a particular person just because they don't have as much money. You know what I mean? Like that, that seems wrong. Right. So I get that. Um, but things like, uh, you know, it's very easy to think of a count, you know, uh, an example on the complete opposite side, which is like, you know, uh, what, what phone do you have? Uh, well, okay. If you make more money, maybe you get the nice and nicer phone, right? You don't have, you, if you don't have as much money, get the, you know, not as nice phone, but phones are not a fundamental need for like, you know, <laughs> a civilization for humanity. Arguably it is becoming more of a fundamental need though. <laughs> it's, I think it's starting to yeah. get there though. I actually recently left my office without my wallet and I was like, Oh, no worries. <laughs> oh, I have hilarious. the Dunkin' Donut app. <laughs> <laughs> we're okay i um, i still can't yeah, believe i, I, I need to carry around a physical driver's license with me everywhere of all things i think that one should be <laughs> one of the things that gets digitized first i don't know i just think it's absurd i have to carry it around it, it i think it's i think it's absurd that you have to have it on oh uh, yeah to drive like if you got pulled over that's like illegal not to have it right like, look, it up, look it up or here here is you like a it. state <laughs> app that i have that you know that uh, I guess, I, well, this is maybe where it comes in. Not everybody has a smartphone that can pull up uh, a digital version of your of your driver's license. But every every like trooper has a, a laptop. Yeah. Like, go back to that car of yours. <laughs> Type in the fact that I have my license. Well, you have to arguably have some credible way of identifying the person, right? So unless they have a barcode, you know, printed on their arm. I mean, it's just as identifiable as the picture on it. No, I mean, I right? mean, like if if I didn't have a if I didn't have a license, how's a cop supposed to believe I I'm saying who I am? That I guess that's what I mean. Like, the cop needs some way to. I mean, the picture, right? No, I know, but what I'm saying is, if there is no license, we're saying like, hey, why do you need a? Li- what does a cop need a license, right? Isn't that what you're saying? Well, if you lie to him and it's clearly not you in the picture, <laughs> then like, 
I don't know. I mean, <laughs> like then, then you can be in trouble. I guess like don't lose a lot of weight or you get a new picture. Well, sure. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I just think it's like I feel like that's an avoidable problem. I think it should be okay. <laughs> I mean, you're probably right. Um, I, I I still think it yeah. is silly why we have it, but I kind of get what you're saying. It is interesting because there could be some some worst case problems. I I kind of want to go back to the idea you played around with, which is. Uh, I guess it's part of your Alex theory of taxation, which was related to, which was key point of not making a profit, right? That was a uh, sort of a central tenant in, yeah, in, I guess. It is a central tenant, yeah. It reminds me of uh, this, uh, I think it was a TED talk or something, where this person was actually advocating for charities to be for profit. Essentially, questioning whether or not yeah yeah they're essentially (laughs) questioning why charities you know why is there a stigma for charities on making money when we live in a capitalistic society that to survive as a business or as an organization you need to make a profit granted charities get you know tax write-offs and things like that to help but he was arguing for why cannot can they not compete, and then you can have charities that can maybe be more efficient, or you know, even take on the advantages of competition, right? If you think about a customer of a charity being somebody who gets, you know, services, supplies, whatever is needed, maybe one charity can do it better, and then that charity ends up, you know, becoming more and more efficient and things like that. And there's just always competition amongst them. And I don't know, I thought that was kind of an interesting idea. Like, yeah, why why is there a stigma? I mean, sure, we can, we, we, can, we would still donate, right? I think you can still have competition between charities. I think that already does exist um, without having to make it for profit, though, right? Because there are several charities for cancer, right? They're inherently competing with one another because they're all collecting money for the same cause. And... That's okay because you can choose which one you want to support with your dollars, and um, you could argue that they should maybe consolidate. Uh, <laughs> but um, at the same time, yeah, I mean, I think that that can still exist. Although I do understand what you're. So mm-hmm. we've talked about this before offline, and how we it was like almost a full uh, podcast episode idea of the idea of creating companies that are actually for the fundamental good of society, um, but also right. run on profit. So, um, I think it could be, it's interesting what profit means, right? Because profit can disappear very easily by basically how much you pay your employees. Um, so let me put it this way. So like my favorite, <laughs> any, for our, for our noble early listeners, you can get my free, uh, business idea that I've been wanting to do. No, you got to make that like a Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> hide behind a paywall <laughs> don't, be, don't be a charity and give out my business idea that i just don't know how to implement we're a for-profit <laughs> podcast here <laughs> so no because i will i want to see this happen so i'm gonna i'm gonna just say it maybe someone will, will run with it but this is like this is something i've heavily considered doing and i'm not 100 percent sure if it doesn't exist a quick google search said no but maybe maybe um but i really want to do the equivalent of those coding school boot camp schools where you go ahead and for eight weeks 
they teach you how to program in, let's say, Objective-C or Swift. So you can do iOS development. And the whole shtick is you give us a certain percentage of your salary for the first year or two, and and you're good to go. After that, so free training for the future job that you'll get in that field, and then you're good to go. Um, I want to take that same philosophy and start churning out um, plumbers, electricians, um, various uh, vocational school um, trade school employees and uh, preferably from underprivileged areas because those are incredibly good jobs, incredibly good jobs that are also incredibly filled with extremely old people. The average age of a Maryland plumber is 59 years old. That's insane. Like these, there are people that are not going into these fields um, and we need them badly. And I think it would be so awesome to take Again, underprivileged people go to their communities, say, hey, become a plumber, become an electrician. We need these people. We need these skills so badly in our society. Teach them. They'll get great jobs. They'll be able to bring that money to their communities. They'll help, you know, give better lives for their children. I think it's incredibly great, but there, there's nothing doing that yet. And I would take the profits of their uh, income. Now, you could argue that I just take enough profits from their income for those years so that I can pay off my costs, right? Pay off the, the cost of teaching them, pay the employee salaries, and that's about it, right? Run a very lean budget, adjust it such that they only get charged as much as like we need to keep afloat, and then it becomes not-for-profit, and everyone's happy. Um, the only reason I haven't started doing this is because like I need to fund a wedding. <laughs> I really love this idea. It, 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 it makes me super happy because... I would love to give opportunity to these less privileged people. Well, I guess I guess it com- what, what I would argue is why not? What is it? Have the cake and eat it too? Is that, did I say that right? Like, why not be able to now? If you could turn a profit, why not? And then then you can use the profit to help pay for a wedding. You know. <laughs> well, that's that, that's always the that's always a trap, June. That's always the trap. You always start getting greedy. <laughs> like, all right. Here here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I understand there's greed, um, but why? Why is the why is the money that a company makes necessarily part of the judgment of what a pro, what a company produces? In other words, if this if if you ran this program and it had fantastic results and you were putting you are bringing up communities. You are, you know, revitalizing communities because now all of a sudden people are having these jobs that need, you know, need filled and they're high paying jobs. Um, but, you know, you're making a good money, you know, good buck. I mean, I don't see why the fact that you're making a good buck has any weight in the thing you've produced. In fact, I would argue to say you've done a community a good service here is what you deserve. Um, and then go fund your wedding with it. You know, <laughs> like I think what's interesting about profits is that you have employees uh, working at a company uh, that, that drive these, these profits and they're making wage X and maybe they have like crummy benefit Y and they also have a huge, huge, huge pay gap between them and their CEO. And there's all these profits. It's going to all these shareholders and it's not growing directly to the people who help make it happen, right? Which is also like kind of getting back to taxes, right? It's almost like a, a mirror of the whole tax problem. 
I help make this thing and I'm not even seeing it. Right. Um, so anyhow, I think it's interesting because I think that's where profits get a, a bad name. So like, for instance, when my dad was working for uh, Verizon, he was like, they are getting incredible profits. And they just keep making our benefits even worse and worse. Like, I don't get it. Why do they keep making our benefits worse? Like, just be happy with the profits you have. And like, it's, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me uh, why, why they would treat their employees this way. And I kind of agree. I always, I think I'd be like a, the good guy, Greg of a CEO, because I would always want to, you know, give the best to my employees and uh, to help the, the shareholders. But I also don't think I'd ever take anything uh, <laughs> you know, public because what kind of idea would I have that would go public like that? But anyways, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just, I'm a, I think that's the, the thing that's sad, right? Like when you work for a company, you generate more money in theory than you cost them. Right. Like, and also keep in mind that if you're, if you're an NGO, you are, you are now regulated in terms of how much you can pay staff, including yourself. What is NGO? It's basically like a nonprofit or, um, yeah. Oh so, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, this is for both me and our listeners. Cause I was like, yeah, so they won't know I guess that the, that's the interesting, right? It's like you're, you're regulated and you can't just, you know, absorb the profit and paying yourself a ridiculously high salary. Um, cause that, that would be regulated. Um, I don't, I don't know what the cap is, but I'm, I'm yeah, sure to, that there is that. like, you can get in trouble if, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure that that's a thing. That's a thing for sure. But it's just interesting to me. Like, I think there are some interesting, um, companies that could be made that are charitable mm-hmm. in action, but do turn a profit. I definitely think that there, that that could exist. Yeah. And the other, honestly, the other benefit of a profit too if we just you know keep going down this road here, um, is investment reinvestment, right? Exactly. Yeah, and you're not dependent mm-hmm. on donations um, in order to to continue your uh, charitable ways, right? And then you can expand your own efficiency. Yep. Invest in more capital, in more uh, equipment, whatever, right? Technology. Um, to go and make your services even better and more efficient and yeah, earn even more profit. I mean, I don't know. Does <laughs> it's a, well, it's the question of like, are you bootstrapping your efforts through um, people who are literally just giving money out of the kindness of their hearts to for you to do something, which is like 100% true charity? Or do you generate the same kind of results of, um, you know, helping underprivileged people, but like, by using their like by lifting them up you use a little bit of that lifted up income to fund your profit like or funding your enterprise you know like i think that's interesting um i think it only fits though in in situations where you're helping people lead a better life like for instance like fighting char- or fighting cancer charity there's no such thing as um <laughs> like i i don't know how you can create this business model for that it's like, oh, once we have the cure, we're going to have to charge out the wazoo for it. Like, I mean, that does kind of happen with, uh, with medi- or pharmaceutical uh, medicines, but like, not, I don't think so much, those kind of things. Yeah, I don't know how that would work, but... 
Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that I one mean, might have to be uh, a pure charity. <laughs> like you just saved the guy's life, right? What's what's asking for twenty five percent of the re- of the rest of his <laughs> income for the rest of his life? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this is going down a dark hole. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. It, I, well, it, it is interesting. It is. I think these are all extremely interesting topics. It's like a little black mirrorish, but it's it's interesting to um to kind of pull in these threads and what what kind of business models are possible but also like good and what 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 things really can't exist outside of a, a charity aspect and it kind of this i think it was actually a really good topic june to bring back into this discussion because it kind of does fit with taxes right where we were discussing how some of these things wouldn't be possible without taxes or like you just can't imagine how they would be the same at least they'd be very very different um and probably um a greater um, divide right. the haves and the have-nots. I think that's one of the most powerful things of taxation is it helps create a level playing field for all of your citizens versus the haves and have-nots um, because you're just providing the service uh, to everybody. It might be more funded by some people than others, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, everyone can benefit from it, um, which is like one of the ten poles of... Um, was it the basic standard income that if everyone had a basic standard income, it actually might benefit everyone. Um, Now that, yeah, that's a whole other thing. Um, But before we jump to that, I was just, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I don't, I don't don't know if I want to jump into that. I don't think I can talk to like, I already feel like sometimes we are talking a little bit out of our asses because like we don't, yeah, we totally are. We're talking about businesses and I'm like, I I don't really know at the beginning of, yeah, we're we're not subject matter experts and like, we're not claiming to be, and we, I'd honestly like, if, yes. if any listeners have feedback, I would love to we hear should. it. We, we should. We should make an email address for that, June. Uh, <laughs> let's, I'll, I'll make that and then put it in the show notes because that's actually really important. <laughs> well, here's, here's one more thing I'll say, though, about this is also um, just how this is just sort of thought experiment, like how cool it would be um, if we can just simply experiment with no repercussions. In other words... Wouldn't it be neat if we can just all of a sudden try it the other way? We just say, "Yep, all right." Uh, what happens if we completely just go libertarian? And go, oh, yeah. you know, have a libertarian government. What would happen? Well, maybe that's... I know. Maybe, like, I mean, when a when AI gets good so. enough, and you know, <laughs> simulation and virtual reality and things like that gets good enough, like I I I can think of like that being a really interesting tool to actually just try all paths of a decision tree and see where they end up and then you can just make the decision to in actual reality to go with the best one do you realize that's like basically what i do for a living by the way are you did you just are you gonna get shot right now because I, I you just tell me something you shouldn't <laughs> i mean no i i make a decision aid that tries the model of the world but not for a much more i understand yeah all right there's a red dot being like trained on your head right now that's uh (laughs) (laughs) but no it's it's an extremely interesting problem um that's why i kind of really like my work is because it um it's so multifaceted like you just pull if you pull on a thread Mm -hmm. then you realize there's a whole nother set of things that you need to model and discover Mm -hmm. and figure out and optimize um so it's all one step at a time baby that's what i keep saying (laughs) like wow we have a lot of work ahead of us to make the dream of the reality but it is kind of what we do now that yeah now that would be an interesting company idea you make a simulation product that can do 
a simulation like that on a large scale. Is that Westworld? <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be real though, right? Some kind of software, and then you can be, you know, then you can no. go sell this to the government. Be like, look, was that not The Sims? I thought that was The Sims. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, do we have an after-show topic? Should I talk about the phone and my headphones? I just spent a lot of money, man. <laughs> Wait, you bought headphones? Oh, that's right, you did. I did so much research on headphones in the last week and learned so much about headphones. Mostly, honestly, more than technical things, it's just about like all the different headphones that are out there. That's really what I've learned. Like Understanding like the just options... Like- no, just like Styles, what uh, models are there like for both, you know, noise canceling, active noise canceling, not active noise canceling, you know. And then when you start going into reviews, I feel like a lot of you just start hearing the same brands over and over that are always at the top, you know, and that in itself is really interesting knowledge just to learn that. So I think one of the issues you have with that, just to interject, like, for instance, if you go like Wirecutter and they have the top Bluetooth headphones, they can only test like even though they test an incredible amount there are so many companies making the same garbage like you know it might not be necessarily the best but it's the best of what they found and it's pretty good and they kind of go with it right um but I, I, i've always found the headphones very interesting in that regard june because you have like a company x and they'll have a bunch of different headphones even in the same mm. price point and you're like why one of them clearly sounds better than the other. And, like, they're both over-the-air headphones. So, like, hmm, what are you optimizing hmm. for here? Um, I always find it interesting to have, like, so many different price points. Um, I would feel like you would just have, like, the best headphone you could offer at a price that people would be willing to pay. And then maybe, like, your showpiece of uh, amazing technology. Like, I wouldn't have hmm. all these tiers. I don't know. I, I just think it's kind of interesting. Because I think... What I'm getting at is there are some tiers that don't make any sense to me. Like, I think once you get to the point of where you're, you're going to spend $300 on a headphone, like, you're probably also, like, I don't think there's a person who's going to spend $500, but not $700 or not $1,000. It's like, once you're spending that much money on a headphone, you're probably buying, like, extremely high-end stuff. But think about the phone, for example. I don't want to buy the XS, or, sorry, XS, um, right, because it's $250 more. Like yeah, I'm already I already spent seven hundred fifty, or I'm going to spend that much, and so arguably, based on your argument, I what's another two hundred fifty? But to me, two hundred fifty is two hundred fifty. But I think it's like, I think it's interesting because it's a more appreciable than headphones. Like even as an audiophile, I can be like, there's so much diminishing returns there. Sure, sure, sure. It's not like a clear like OLED technology that you can clearly say like, yep. I'm just saying if like. At the $300 price point, you can get so yeah. many headphones that are tremendously great that I can't understand why there's like really the $500, $700, or $1,000 tier because I think like after you spend the $300, you're going to the $1,000. You're not going to like, let me dabble with the $500 <laughs> ones. <I> like, <laughs> like they're, they're already so, so, so good. And if you know you want something better, you're going to just keep going. Like you're going to go high. I, just, I don't understand these middle ones. Yeah. That's just me. Well, I, like, I guess I don't even know... It, because the, I guess the I, I'm not even sure so what these middle ones, these middle tiers you're talking about. Because when I was just doing my searching, granted, I was really focused on wireless because I had to be a requirement of the headphones. But I don't know. I, when I was digging around, it was really pretty much, you know, 50 to $100 price range. And then you have the heavy hitters like, you know, the, the Sony, the 
the Bose, the, um, you know, Seinhesser, you know, these companies that are making 300 to $400, uh, you know, noise canceling headphones with really good audio. And, and like, that's pretty much, I've only ever really noticed those two tiers. There are some in the middle, but I guess I just, that's probably, I never paid attention to those. I think it's because you weren't paying attention to like the wire oh, audio okay. file headphones. There's so many of them. It's just, it's absurd. Even from the same company. It's sure. like, I understand there's different companies doing the well, same thing, yeah. but even sometimes in the same company, they must be. Yeah. Even from like a, just a production perspective, it's like, you're you have to have different molds for a whole new set of you know uh, 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 headphones, right? And and that's expensive cups to have an entirely yeah. different production line and yeah. molds and you know capital for all that stuff. And and while that product is just not selling as much because you're cannibalizing it with another product that's very similar. <laughs> so I will say this: so you ended up buying the Sony's, right? The MX threes. Yeah, yeah. The 1000 XM3, yeah. Uh can't wait. It's freaking sold out everywhere. When when you get those in, I need to come over and check it out because I'm extremely interested in that product, but I'm holding out because I really would like um like Apple Studio headphones. It's called they Beats. Are the same they're making because <laughs> of <sighs> not buying Beats. <laughs> um like I love my my huge wired headphones, and um, although what I don't love is that the the cups mm-hmm. are getting completely disintegrated mm-hmm. after five years or whatever heck I've had them for, and they don't offer replacement cups, and the the mm. third party market is terrible because they're such a niche product that like almost all of them they're like oh these don't fit these don't fit all oh, these suck and I'm like I think I'm just stuck with yeah. these things until I just give up on them. Like the, the pads mm-hmm. are just too bad to ever use again, um, which is kind of sad because like they sound yep. just as good as they got them, you know, or whatever. Like there's no real reason that these should be going away, but I guess it's kind of a, right. what happens with headphones. Like that's why I, I, I'm a big believer in investing nicely in the headphones because they right. don't go bad. Same thing with speakers. Like yep. sound is sound. Like <laughs> invest once and you're pretty much good to go. Right. The pads do seem like they are common weak point in headphones you know if you have headphones for you know five plus years that all all you know the two headphones i've had the longest one's like one is a bose noise canceling one and one is these um uh these uh, mdr 7506 from sony like these are also kind of wearing out now and i haven't even had these for as long but the bose ones i've heard are pretty good with replacement uh replacement um yeah ears they are I had I had um, their sport headphones and I'd break them almost yearly. Oh yeah, and they would always give me a new pair for free. Or what? Well, very kind of them. Yeah, because I'd break them like within a year. But I just heard like even just replacing the padding yourself was supposedly pretty straightforward. Yep, they're they're good about that. They are, and, and that comes with having just such a you know large, largely purchased in um, you know brand and product because you you know like there's going to be a lot of. Uh, even just third-party uh, products out there for you know replacement parts and things like that. Yeah, Bose is an incredibly interesting company. I think it's interesting how they get such a bad rap in the audio space. Yeah, how, walk me through like the audio history of why that's the case. Do you, like of what you know about? Because I I don't understand why Bose has <clears throat> so many reviews like play down Bose as like you know they talk down on it, but overpriced and not good, right? Um, <clears throat> 
I mean, I'll say this. I think you will not find a better community of trolls. Even like even I think even the Android community <laughs> fails in comparison to uh audio file audio snob snobbery. Yeah. Like <laughs> like I don't know. You'll cause it's it's so subjective, right? Like people will download firmware updates for their home pod and act like the whole thing sounds completely different. And I'm like, it doesn't. They're like, Oh my god, the bass is so rambunctious now. And it's like, no, you're it's completely like you're trying to hear something. Like it doesn't sound that different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even if it I, I guarantee it doesn't sound that different. <laughs> like yeah. you're not doing anything that that wild. Um yeah, I I just think it's really interesting to to hear those things. Um but yeah, people people have completely different opinions about headphones. Like for instance, I bought a pair of Sennheisers that Marco reviewed very nicely, and I thought I got a bad pair because I thought they sounded awful, like absolutely awful, super duper, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. piercingly trebly, right? Like all the cymbal mm-hmm. hits just like shimmered like crazy, and I was like, maybe I just need to like burn them in. So I like played them loudly for uh days on end in my closet like covered in <laughs> pillows so i couldn't hear it but like i like i was like trying and i put them on and they still sound terrible and mm-hmm. i just couldn't i never liked the sound of it at all it was just so shimmery yeah. and so bright um I, I i returned them i thought they were defective and they got the next pair and the same yeah, thing and yeah. I was like, all right I it is very subjective yeah and it's and so it but it's it's weird to me because i'm like not even sure how that would possibly sound right like i don't know it just sounds so it just sounds incredibly yeah. weird and artificial to me. It's like I I love definition in the symbols. I, I think I get that out of different headphones, but um, but those things were just uh, they like they just sound harsh, like, extremely harsh. I don't know. I don't think that that is actually a good sound. Um, so yeah, actually, I, I currently use AKG um K five fifties, and I really want to get like the the BNO H sixes generation two. Um, cause I remember when, when our good buddy Broderick got those, <laughs> like they just sounded incredible. Um, but I also thought the same thing about mm-hmm. these headphones when I first got them. Like, I was like, oh, these are such an upgrade over my, uh, what were they? Audio Technica 8700 X's, which I actually still use at work. So, um, quick question and maybe something the listeners can learn. Um, but what is your main, uh, audio output when you are using your phone? Like for music or podcasts or, I mean, ninety nine percent of the time when I'm listening to music right, from my okay. phone, I listen with AirPods. So you, it, what's the other one percent? <laughs> These guys or like? So you have the adapter? Yeah, I use the adapter um, on my iPhone. I I would honestly say I use my big honkin headphones mostly at a computer. Or and now that I'm dishing my computer on my iPad, uh, no, <laughs> I actually moved my headphones into my um, bedroom to give you an idea of like how much iPad centric <laughs> I've been. Um, yeah, I, I should put a picture of this in the show notes of like my setup right now. It's pretty funny. I'm just like putting things on top of my Mac. And, your, in front yeah. of my- your Mac is just a uh, a table mat. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It's literally a table mat. That's exactly what it is. Oh man, it's so bad. I I literally have updated to Mojave and I haven't touched it since I, I put it on dark mode and i think it looks awful but i didn't i haven't even bothered changing it because i just don't use my mac it's so funny how how we've sort of diverged on that you know you've gone completely ipad life and i've i've regressed well maybe regress is not the right word but i went from a mac to an imac um or my macbook to an imac and i've gone the complete opposite direction of mobility and size <laughs> i'm kind of a fraud june like, don't forget the fact that I use a Mac all day yeah, at work. That's true. Like, it's not that I don't touch Macintoshes. 
like I touch Macintoshes. I use them for grad school. Like, but I associate a uh, traditional Macintosh computer mm. with work now. Like doing grad school, doing work, work. Like when I come home, I just want to touch my iPad. I want I want to have touch screens. That's so. You see, that's so interesting. Yeah, at my work, it's um, at my job. I have the same feeling, but my work computers are all Windows. And so when I come home, I'm like, I want to use Mac. I, I want to. I want to look at my dark mode. <laughs> and, glass of water. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I. Uh, I don't know, but it's it's been fun for me. I think it's an interesting. Um, I think I think the thing is like at the end of the day, when I was what I was using my Mac for was messages, uh, Safari and uh audio editing and i kind of found out that like oh if i use ferrite for audio editing on my ipad i actually have an interesting pretty good workflow here that might be even better than using my mac and i have all these other apps and i can like tile them i can do picture in picture and like yeah i don't have as much space and things are a little bit smaller but um you know i'm not like some productivity guru in my personal life like i don't need to be so what's your thought of basically having some kind of iPad that was more like the Surface Studio, or sorry, the, the Microsoft Surface, where it is, you know, you can attach an SD card in there if you want, you know, with some USB drives, you can have a wireless mouse and, right, but it's it's a tablet though, right? Like, because I think a cursor on iOS would be very interesting, but I wouldn't want a mouse per se. I would want like just to be able to move around text in a text box or like for selection maybe yeah. like i want to be using it to tap on things um i don't know i think it's interesting though i, I get what you're saying and i'm extremely yeah. curious about the october 30th event because um i've, I've already said i'm going to buy whatever they're releasing <laughs> like i'm 100 in so <laughs> we'll see we'll see what they do but uh i think it's interesting you know to have like a, a real like USB-C port instead of mm-hmm. lightning i think that'd be cool um and sd card slot um awesome that'd be really yeah. cool but i don't i don't see it happening <laughs> um basically because they took it out of the laptops which is kind of a sin well um, yeah it, it, it was funny that it's like i don't i don't know do you know that i have an sd card yep, i've known that as basically storage as, yeah 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 <laughs> yeah as a way to get around the fact that i mm-hmm. maxed out my 256 gig hard drive and i was like uh-oh what am i supposed to do i'm like oh i'll just throw an <laughs> sd card in here permanently i've always been sort of like uh a pro cloud kind of person. I'm pretty much, you know, I've always gotten the lowest memory option phones thinking, you know, I'm enabling iCloud, everything is iCloud, and then everything gets synced up. I got all the, you know, storages. And as long as I have internet access everywhere I am, then I should be fine. Um, Gene, that sounds like a great idea until you can't control certain things like curse iOS for having the optimized feature for photos. And it stores 10 gigs. No, no. Really? You shouldn't love it. It's terrible. Have you ever actually filled up your iPad? Because uh, this iPad's pretty full right now. Because I did the exact thing that you were talking about, June. I got a 64 gig iPad when I got the new one to justify me getting the new one from the 9.7 to 10.5 because I was able to sell my 9.7 for so much that I basically was getting it for free. Um, because like I got my friend yeah. Apple discount. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways. <laughs> um, but I... I got the lower storage one so I could, you know, feel like I was basically swapping because I had a higher storage one before. And I'm running out of space on this iPad and it's becoming problematic for like downloading files and stuff. Like when you send me your recording, it was problematic. I didn't have enough space for it. 
And I'm like, I have 10 gigs of pictures on here, but I have iCloud photo library. Like, get rid of those stupid photos. And like, they're in the cloud. I don't need them, but there's no way to control how much space it takes. And there's no way to, there's nothing you can do about it. It just thinks that they need to take up 10 gigs. And I'm like, no, if it didn't do that, it'd be awesome. Well, see, it, it, I don't know how, right? I, I have, there's no way for me to know like what algorithm that Apple uses to optimize your storage. But I would think that, my experience so far on my iPhone has basically been that it's not a set amount of memory that iPhotos or photos will always take. It basically, I think, um, based on my usage, tries to always keep a certain amount of capacity available, whether it's two gigs, right? Like, I mean, my phone right now is 16 gigs, right? So I've always noticed that my phone will always somehow get me to around two gigs free. And I have tons of photos, I have tons of files, but it is somehow magically putting things up in the cloud so that I somehow always have about two gigs free. And that allows me to, you know, I don't know, download a large audio file, like a podcast, right? Or things like that, that I can still have capacity to do. Well, I'm glad it works Yeah, I I guess I've never ran into that problem because it it will... I I constantly was running into it. I I started deleting apps on my iPad that I don't use. Because it was well, being weird yeah. about it. Like, for instance, um, here's a fun one. Google Drive was mm. taking up three gigs of storage space. And I went into the offline tab, and they were like, oh, we're not saving anything for you offline. And I'm like, yeah, Bullshit. yeah. So sure. I deleted the app, <laughs> reinstalled it, and now it's like I've, I've reclaimed all that space. But it was being weird where it actually did have some stuff offline, but it wasn't showing me because I probably never explicitly told it to keep mm. it offline, mm. but it chose to. And um, I think that's just poor app design but anyways uh, um, it's it's all the yeah, it, it it's all really the hashed weird. data about you that it's been collecting that's what it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <I'm, laughs> well <laughs> on that note june i guess uh <laughs> i need to go delete my whole existence <laughs> of google because wait what size did, did you get rachel nice. i'm curious on the on the 10r Six, oh, 64 gigs 64, she's fine oh, okay yeah she's 64 yeah she yeah because she um She's only uh, yeah. using like 32 gigs. See, I'm, I was wondering, like, I've never had the ability to record in 4K. So I'm wondering if that alone would justify getting a much more. But I'm already going from 16 to 64. That's, f- you know, four times. So, yes. Um, that's certainly a thing. You just have to be a little bit proactive about getting it off of or there. Or I don't worry about it at all because I switch on optimize my storage. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, if it'll upload those huge files, but if you're, like, abroad and stuff, that, that won't be... Well, the pain, the pain of, and I've definitely ran into this, is, like, you know, I'm at work, and I'm trying to show, like, baby pictures to a coworker or or whatever, and I'm, tr- and I'm just standing there with my phone, and it's a blurry picture, and there's a little tiny red circle <laughs> being filled up very slowly, and I'm like, yeah, sorry, give it, give it a few seconds, give it a oh, few I seconds. <laughs> I'm like, I hate that. Yeah, yeah, here it is. Boom, here's the picture. <laughs> yeah. Especially, yeah, especially when I used to um, um, import the RAWs directly into Apple Photos, and Ugh. that was a nightmare, because I'd have these 25 megabyte files that are trying, that, you know, every time I try to show it on my phone, it's trying to download 25 megabytes to show a single picture. So I stopped doing mm-hmm. that just because that was... So you don't you don't put them in... Uh, where do you put them now, if you don't put them in photos? I store them locally now, since I have a nice, big, 
you know, terabyte storage plus my external. So I just store it locally and then I run it through my flow for photo editing is I run it through Lightroom. Um, and then I export the ones okay. that I've marked as exporting exportable that I want to be able to put onto photos so I can share. So, and then I, you know, I don't export 25 megabyte quality. <laughs> I, I export obviously a lot smaller and then I well, import that back into Apple photos. Yeah. I actually, I think it's interesting that you mentioned that. So we ordered a bunch of photo books recently of our trips that we've taken in the last two years. And Rachel like basically curated all the photos and made it. She did a great job. But then I was able to go over and be like, okay, since you selected this photo, let me go ahead and actually like touch it up now. Cause I've never, I, I just took a bunch of photos. I never actually went back and collated or cured the selection, properly edited things and balanced them. And like, it was kind of cool of a uh, little uh, teamwork there where she found the high quality moments, mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. guess, so to speak. Um, and, or at least like, you know, presented me with ones that I, I would yeah, do. Yeah. I, I don't know any better. Right. Cause I don't remember all the things I took. And then I was able to go in and like touch them up to make them look nice. And, um, yeah, I think nice. I made a big difference in that book. Like I was able to like really, it, it's, it's interesting mm-hmm. what you can do with some, a little bit of editing. Like it's like, Oh wow, this is like, it was an okay image before, but now it looks like quite nice. So what I, I noticed finally the, the, deficiency of of the macbook adorable when editing photos on it so sometimes like when you when you pull that slider i don't know maybe some images are more complicated than others but when you pull that slider it was like oh there you go there's a there's some more light (laughs) it was it it really had to think about it and like yeah like you know how like you could see on the 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 little thumbnails Mm -hmm. like as they progressively got better like those took a lot of load up and like it looked like because of the the certain um i guess because of the quality of the cpu it like scaled uh, down the initial attempt and it was just like it was just like <laughs> basically like just applying like a white yeah, yeah, white yeah, mask yeah. over it <laughs> that, that was basically yeah that was basically on my old macbook um macbook pro so yeah i mean when i yeah. w- obviously with the imac pro it's it's like night and day right it's everything loads it loads immediately, yeah, and right. dragging a dragging a slide bar actually updates the photo in actual real time, and it's like, oh, that is really cool. No lag. <laughs> yeah, it's super nice. Actually, the funny thing is, the one thing I I will miss about editing photos in Apple Photos versus Lightroom is that while Lightroom gives you much more customizations and adjustments and things like that, um, not to mention it's just a much better. Um, um, you know, data management system uh, for the photos. But uh-huh. the one thing I miss about Apple Photos is just the simple enhance button. Because I mean, Lightroom Lightroom yeah. has a single a button to do that as well, but it sucks. I don't know if other people has the same thing, but man, I think this is maybe where Apple's just machine learning and amount of like, just like, you know, that technology has really is really outshines something like a product maybe well, that adobe doesn't have as much data <laughs> but i mean well that light slider that light slider is incredible on iphone because it is moving like under the hood and you can edit them directly like eight different sliders yeah but um it it, it does a really good job there's a few times where we took a picture uh it's like almost the smart it's like the uh hmm, hmm. the old school smart hdr like that's kind of what i noticed with it was sometimes we took pho- photographs that were um kind of underexposed in um in like hmm. the shadows but if you hit the light it actually was able to keep the exposure yeah. of the um 
Right. They already pretty well exposed yep. stuff and yep. just like bring out that area a little bit and touch it up. That's awesome. It's like so nice when you do that because it makes the Im- yeah, it makes the image look way better. And I'm like, oh great. Like this, and that's, th- those were the biggest edits I was making. June was like a lot of the photos I had that kind of issue, mm-hmm. and I was just like give that a little boost, and then it like look way better. Yeah, and and basically when I was editing in photos, most of my flow when I edit a photo is just hit hit the enhance button, and like I'd say maybe. 70% of the time, I was satisfied. Didn't do another single touch-up, and I just moved on. I was like, this is really good. Whereas in Light in Lightroom, I, I can't do that. Every time I hit that auto button, uh, it, it just completely destroys it. And I think the key difference is, I guess, you know, Lightroom users are sort of power users anyway, so they're going to have their saved, you know, they're going to, their presets and all those things so that they'll just like see a picture, apply one of their hundreds of presets and say, boom, done. And and I guess that's what they would do. It's just the nice thing about photos is having one button and a computer basically having been yeah. trained really well to think, to know like what a good picture, how to make this into a good picture. Um, like that's sort of just, I guess, taking advantage of AI in a way that, um, in a way that like, I don't know, I think manually applying presets is while that might be nice and gives you a level of um, control still, but man, I just let a computer take it over. I mean, hit a button and boom, here it is. Really nice. And then I, it's not like it's set, you know, I can still touch it, touch up around it. Um, yeah, yeah. You can see how yeah. it, it, it manipulated it. So yeah, it's, it is nice, June. I agree. I will say that I will say the one, honestly, uh, I'll just mention one more thing. The one main reason why I switched to Lightroom, it wasn't the whole inputting raw into photos or anything. I, I would have, I was fine with that. That didn't drive me crazy. The thing that really drove me crazy though with photos was when I take, so when I'm on my DSLR and I'm taking a bunch of photos in um, burst mode, I'll have a lot of duplicates, right? So most of my post photo processing is eliminating duplicates. And there is just no good way to do that in Apple Photos. When you, you know, you have to essentially, you know, you maybe you have like 10 shots of like basically the same thing, right? Now you got to go delete nine of them and you spend your time essentially looking for um, the one that's the best. And then you have to manually select the other nine, which involves some combination of command and shift clicking, right? And then hitting, you know, command delete to get rid of it. Um, and that is just such a pain. You know what I do in Lightroom now? Lightroom, I just yeah. I just pick. There is there is a million ways to tag a photo, and I just either I, I tag a photo that I want to keep, and then it has a powerful filtering feature, so I can filter by pictures that I don't have tagged, that I don't have a tag at all, and boom, those are all the ones right. I want to delete. And I just apply that filter, delete, and bam, yeah, done. They, yeah, oh, it's so easy. I do that workflow with um with the favorite button i use the favorite in, as like a dump off spot. in what in photos yeah photos but see there's even when you mark as favorite there is no there's no filter yeah there's no filter to show me things that are not favorited you know what i mean no it's not nearly as not nearly as robust i agree and there's there's the whole data management like collections and you know smart collections and um all those things are just i don't know i my photos are just better organized now too so I believe it. Yeah, the the photos does some nice stuff where it takes your yeah. location and the time that you took the photos and like automatically trying to text those things and it's able 
dude, this was pretty cool. I took photos of Rachel's at, at her birthday um, dinner, right? And then the next day, I got a serious suggestion saying, hey, do you want to share huh. photos from Rachel's birthday dinner? Wow. And I was like, pause. How did you know? It's like, it could yeah. recognize it was Rachel in the pictures. It right. was all, and it did it all locally, right? It knew when Rachel's birthday was because of my contact card. And then uh, I guess it just assumed dinner because of the time. How about that? Is that kind of cool? Or, or, or it actually, yeah, I mean, that's really cool. Maybe it even selected food. Yeah, I, I thought it was super duper cool. And I was like, oh, look, there's Apple doing like googly things, but probably without compromising my privacy. 